Hello and welcome to today's edition of Family Life Today, hosted by Dave and Ann Wilson with Bob Lapine. Family Life Today is presented by Power to Change, known in the US as Family Life. We hope the program will encourage you in your most important relationships. I should have never brought this up, but uh, the the card was maxed out. Uh-huh. They wouldn't let us put anything else on it, and uh, so I. And I think you were late in paying the bill because we, we didn't have money. any money. And that was the year, by the way. We said that's it. Number one, Ann's going to take over the financial part. Number two, we're not going to put stuff on a credit card anymore. It was a discipline not to do that. But anyway, why are we burying <laughs> our soul to the world about our financial check pain? Did uh, that hurt your feelings? I shouldn't have brought that up. Is that no, bad? that that's reality. And I think we share it because we learn from it, and hopefully others can learn from it. But we need a lot of help. We all do. <laughs> and so we have Chris Cagle with us today who wrote a book about retirement, Reimagine Retirement, but it's more than Reimagine Retirement. Yeah, Chris, and welcome back to Family Life Today. Thank you. Good to be here again. We're yeah, happy I mean, that you're here to counsel us. Thank you. <laughs> you're going to counsel yeah. us and hundreds of thousands of others as well, because we're not the only ones that have made a mistake like that. Fortunately, right. that was in the first five years of our marriage, and we're 35 years beyond that. But if we hadn't changed something financially then... We might not even be able, you know, to sit here with you today. But anyway, you we spent might not your... be married because this many times is a cause for a divorce. It can be. Yeah, absolutely. And your book is called Reimagine Retirement, and you've been married almost fifty years to your wife. Do you guys have kids? We do have two grown children. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Any grandkids? Six grandkids. Okay. Yeah. Four of them live there locally in Charlotte, where I live, and two are out in Colorado. And it's been inspiring to hear your work that you're doing in your church, in your community. You have been pouring into the kingdom of God for a long time. And so this is just one of the things that you do is writing books with the topic of finance. Right. Well, talk about this. Right. Have you ever had that kind of discussion or tension in your marriage oh, about, absolutely. about money? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Good. No, you know, us. since 50 years I've been, no, I'm no. guessing you're the saver. Um, so I both? was the budget tyrant. That's how I would kind of describe myself. So, you know, I would uh, sit down each month with all my, because I was kind of nerdy. I've always been kind of nerdy. So I'm the, you know, you hear about, Ramsey talks about the nerd and the free spirit. Here's your nerd. I would sit down with my spreadsheets and my computers and my software and my books, and I would come down from on high, and my hair would be white, and I'd be glowing, and I'd say, thus saith the budget guru, wife, here is our budget. And she would kind of, you know, lovingly comply, and but she didn't. Right. Oh. I mean, her heart was to comply, but she oh, didn't. She and then as soon as I caught the first deviation, aha, where were you, Toys R Us? Yeah. <laughs> I saw a toy. Who? Where? That's not. My favorite phrase was, that's not in the budget. And it was really through my first exposure to financial peace, mm-hmm. Dave Ramsey's course, that I realized I had never, ever sat down with her and actually had a conversation about our money. Mm-hmm. You know, I assumed that I was in charge and that I knew best. And that out of my well of infinite wisdom was going to come the very best budget for us and the very best financial plan for us. wasn't bad in a lot of ways. The problem was she wasn't at the table. She wasn't even in the game. Oh, Chris, and this was a bad move. <laughs> this was, you know, that was a bad move. But what I decided to do is, okay, honey, we're going to have budget day. And we did this one Saturday. You didn't call I, it budget day. I called it budget day. <laughs> 
And we sat down, and I brought out all, all and I say, honey, we're going to go through every single item on the budget, and I want to hear your perspective. Oh, on that's good. Too much, too little. What should be in, what should be out. There were things not in the budget that ended up in the. I'll give you an example. We were leading a uh, small group at the time, and she said, honey, you don't know this, but I take ladies in our small group out to lunch two or three times a month. And my immediate response, well, that's not in the grocery budget, you know, <laughs> and that's not in our date night eating out. But And she says, exactly. Do you want me not to do that? No, I love that you do that. I didn't even know you did that. She's so nice that so, she said it like that. I've been, that's God's budget. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's God's yeah. budget. But it opened my eyes to the fact that I needed a category. That's for, good. And then she loves to give little gifts to her oh, lady I friends. I like your wife. Okay. Me too. Yeah. And I had Did a you say place. little gifts? Well, they were small. Mostly, Did you hear that, like, little little. Books and the, I didn't hear that. But part. anyway, <laughs> she got the opportunity to say, can we factor this in the budget? So I started, well, this goes in. That has. It's kind of like a balloon. You push it on one side, it's going to pop out on the other. you got to mm. mold it. you got to figure, well, if I'm going to give here, it's got to give there. And it took uh, about almost four hours, three and a half, four hours mm. to get through it. And we for all practical purposes, have that same budget today. Really? And I would say that was 20 years ago. Wow. And if if your wife is the one that's really good at the budgeting and the numbers, would you guys be okay with that? With absolutely. Her coming? Yeah, me yeah, too. Absolutely. Well, here's the question, absolutely. and you know this. Couples fight over money. Right. It's a oh, huge yeah. tension in a marriage. Oh, There's couples yeah. listening to this right now. Maybe they can't even talk about it because it's mm. such a tension. What would you say to them? How can yeah. you help them? Well, if it gets to that point where they just can't talk, it's because they haven't talked. Mm. I mean, you know, that's the kind of the root cause. But there may be other issues at play which may well have to do with just different views of money, the purpose of money. Why does God give us money? How are we to rightfully use our money? Even different perspectives on what the Bible teaches about money. And I think this is where... Getting good, sound biblical counsel really, really is important. Getting on the same page, so to speak. In our break, you mentioned the word financial infidelity. Talk about that. What is that? That's a danger that can kind of creep into relationships where one partner is much more focused on and involved in the finances than the other. And the other partner is like, I don't care. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. I want to go do these other things. And they just assume that everything's okay. And... The infidelity part doesn't necessarily have to do with wrongdoing. It's just not being honest. Mm -hmm. So, you know, because I believe strongly that a couple becomes one flesh when they're married and God sees them that way, there's in a practical ways, in many practical ways, their finances have to become one as well. The idea of living separate financial lives is don't really see that in the scripture. Not that you can't have individual accounts. Some IRS rules and other banking laws and things require certain accounts to only be, if you have a retirement account, it can only be in your name, but your husband can be your beneficiary. And this is gets really complicated in blended families. Yes. Especially. Yes. And I know yep. that Ron Deal with our blended family ministry has talked about this. It'd probably be worth yep. even listening to him at times. But when my mom came home from shopping with me, and this is a true story. <laughs> this is not. This I, is a I, I feel it coming. This is a true story of a lot of women. And she'd say, don't take the bags out yet. And don't tell your dad what we've been doing. Is that financial infidelity? Yes. Okay. Yes. If you are spending money from a shared account, 
And if there is and has been a mutual understanding up to that point that we're going to make certain purchase decisions together. Now, that doesn't mean that, in my opinion, that every single penny, right, but any kind of significant expenditure that could have an impact on the budget that isn't at least discussed. Hey, honey, I'm running to the store. I'm thinking about getting a birthday gift for so-and-so. It's probably going to be about 50 bucks, you know. And it's more of the hiding aspect. Yeah, it's more of the the idea that it, that it's for some reason, mm-hmm. and that the question is why yeah. the concealment, why, what's the reason, or just it may be, just not sharing information. I often will talk to couples, and uh, you were talking about retirement savings earlier. I'll have a wife say to me, "Yeah, you know, my husband he handles all the investments, and I don't have any idea what we have or how it's invested." It doesn't mean that he's intentionally trying to hide something illegal, illicit, or immoral, or whatever. But why would he not share that with her? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe she's never asked. Mm. Honey, you know, it would be helpful if I knew kind of where we are financially. You know, I love, when I decided to retire about three years ago, I had to sit down with my wife and say, kind of reassure her a little bit that we got this. Mm. You know, with God's help, we can do this. And and as you've heard me say many times, it wasn't just about the numbers. It's about what it is we're going to do in retirement. But uh, I had to give her some reassurance, and I had to share a lot of information with her. I don't want her to think that there's anything in our personal finance life that she can't know about or ask about if she wants to know. Yeah, Sometimes she puts up the hand. Viewers, you can't see the hand. Like Hands I don't up. want. Too I don't much information. To yeah. I don't want to hear any more. I don't want to hear all this detailed financial mumbo jumbo. Just cut to the chase. Tell me what I need to know. Yeah. Now, I've learned what serves her and what is loving toward her. For you guys out there or you ladies who are handling the finances, think about it in those terms. How can I be loving toward my spouse when it comes to sharing with about our finances and managing our finances together? And I'm guessing secrets are not good. Secrets are totally opposite of that. Yeah. Yeah. Secrets. Well, you even wrote a blog about um, loving your widow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What in the world is that? Yeah. So... I ask men, it could be a woman, I mean, it could be a, a wife, uh, either way, you know, if you're a, a wife and you have reason to believe that you might predecease your husband, it'd be something to think about if you if you handle all the finances. So it works both ways. Statistically, most women will outlive their husbands. That's the statistics. God is sovereign. God sets the time, not you and me, nobody else, just him. So one of the ways that we can love our widows is to think about what is going to be the financial condition of our spouse after we're gone? Now, that has to do with provision on the one hand. So in my book, I talk a lot about Social Security and the benefits for many couples having a good, sound Social Security benefit strategy, you know, how they receive benefits, delaying Social Security as long as possible to allow their benefits to grow. One of the ways that that loves your widow, for example, is that if I'm the primary earner and I maximize my Social Security benefit, then when I'm gone, my wife's survivor benefit is maximized. It's a wonderful thing about Social Security. So that's one way. There's another way, the letter. I have a letter that I joking, not jokingly, but a little tongue-in-cheek, refer to as a letter from your husband who is now in heaven. In that letter, I tell my wife or anyone who might be assisting her everything that I think she needs to know about our financial situation, our day-to-day affairs, including all the my Gmail account, my passwords. I have a password vault that I keep all my passwords in, which I would strongly suggest people have, how to get to the vault, how to get to the passwords, who to contact, 
if they need help. Our life in some ways has gotten simpler since I retired, so I have fewer accounts, fewer this, fewer that, because I'm all about simplification for just that reason. That's another way to love your widow is to simplify things so you don't have 10 accounts spread across 10 financial institutions and, you know, 100 different passwords all over the place. You know, you can simplify to help to do that. But uh, she won't let me read it to her. So I've said, yeah, I'll read it to her. You can read it if you Oh, no, no, I don't want to see it now. I don't want to see it now. <laughs> and uh, there is a little comic relief in it because I write it kind of like I'm looking down from heaven, even though I'm not sure whether we'll be able to do that or not. <laughs> it's deep waters there. I'm not sure what we're going to see and not see. So, yeah, that's one way to do it. If you're out there and you haven't done that uh, in some form or fashion, it's a way to love your wife from the grave, from mm. heaven. And yeah, that sounds like If that's like possible a... to do. You can do it. That's one of the ways. I mean, you can that do sounds it. like a really wise yeah plan. Plan. I mean, it makes me want to do that. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, you don't want to think I'm going to die. No, but no. You don't know, and those questions need to be answered. Right. Yeah. And the other essential documents too. You know, right? Will, power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney, financial power of attorney. Those things having those in place. Talk about debt. Almost every financial advisor I read, listen to, from Ramsey to Ron Blue to you name it, and I'm guessing you'll be the same, talks about a debt-free lifestyle. Yep. Is that a good thing, yep. bad it's, thing? It's definitely a good thing, especially speaking as a retiree, going into retirement debt-free and not having a mortgage is huge. But yet I had a mortgage at one time. So I can't say I'm anti-debt if I had a mortgage or that I think debt is wrong, then I was wrong to have a mortgage. The difficult thing about debt is that on the one hand, debt is not forbidden in the scripture, but on the other hand, the scriptures are pretty clear that debt is dangerous and it can really weight us down. It even goes so far as, you know, the familiar scripture that it makes us slave to the lender, yeah. right? You know, it, it doesn't mean obviously slavery in a physical sense, but slave to the fact that we have to give money, we, we are forced, required to give money to a lender that therefore can't be used for other purposes like saving or giving, right? So in that sense, that bondage, breaking that bondage of debt uh, can be a real positive thing to create margin when you're younger to be able to save and give, and then when you're older to help lower your expenses in retirement. So I don't think all debt is evil. A small to very moderate amount of college debt in order to get a degree that offers you the chance of a promising career that will enable you to quickly and easily pay that debt back would not be a terrible debt. It'd be nice to avoid it if you can, but it's not terrible. Getting a debt to buy a house that's likely to appreciate in value is not a terrible thing to do. Uh, being able to lend to a family member although I prefer giving over lending, or lend to a friend interest-free to help them through a difficult time in life. The Bible says that's a blessing. Mm. It's a blessing to be able to lend. You know, God said to, to the people of Israel, I would rather you be a lender than a borrower. So we see that dynamic in Scripture. Installment debt, revolving debt, uh, using debt to finance the purchase of things that can depreciate in value, bad financial decisions. Yeah, and, and I know cases. that a lot of debt, at least in this country, personal debt is I want to live a lifestyle that I can't afford. Right. So I put it on right. a credit card. I read somewhere the average American, when they make $4, spend $7. That is really dumb to do. Yeah. And yet 
it's like the lifestyle that so many of us live. And we think, and this is where even the statistics early in your book come into play, is I can live this way. And then when I get to the, you know, the time where I'm not going to be able to work anymore or I need to live off of what I've saved, we're back to that statistic we started at. A third right. of us have right. nothing and, you know, even very little and we can't live on it. And, and so it, there we are. And it's so easy to go in debt because everything is at our fingertips. You know, we can be at bed at midnight. It's a genie. You just rub the genie. Go on Amazon, and in a day or two, that present or that item can be on your front step, and it's already attached to your credit card. So it's really easy to add that up. So as we wrap this up, and you're looking at a 20, 30, 40, 50-year-old thinking about their money, what's your best wisdom? What would you tell them? First and foremost, recognize that all that you are and all that you have has been given to you by God. And as a Christian, you therefore have a responsibility to wisely manage those things, despite the challenges that exist in the culture and the pressures that that everyone's under, uh, to manage those things in a way that are for your good and his glory. And notice I said both, your good and his glory. God has a heart for our good. He wants us to live in the good of the financial gifting that he's given us. But the Bible is just chock full of wisdom and help and guidance. And where you need help filling in the blanks, there's tremendous resources out there. You know, I would encourage you, if you're in a local church, seek out a financial coach or advisor. Read some books. You know, obviously I wrote one, but I'm not the only one. And a lot of what's in my book is really a compilation of what I've learned by reading many other books, men that I respect. Avoid debt as best you can. Avoid credit cards like the plague, especially when you're young. Live below your means so you can create the financial margin to save and give, but never save at the expense of giving. You know, and if you can't save or give because you're spending too much or you don't make enough income, go to work on that side of the equation. Get help. Pray. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, keep your eye on the prize, which is it's not a worry-free retirement. The prize is eternal life in glory with Jesus forever. That's perfect. Yeah, that's great advice. And I think one of the things we miss, and you know this better than anybody, is when we have a plan, it leads to freedom. Mm-hmm. Amen. Like even when you said budget day, I was thinking, oh, it's freedom day. <laughs> mm-hmm. it you really, know, because yeah. if you really yeah. live according yes. to that plan, you're going to feel a freedom that money will restrict if you're under it. But if you're free, you're like, oh, I'm living the way God wants me to live as a good steward of his money. Yeah, so... A question that's on a lot of people's mind is, how much do I need to retire? Yep, that's how a good How much do question. I need to have in my retirement savings account, my IRA, or whatever, to perhaps to supplement other sources of income to be able to retire, at least kind of live at a standard of living that you had before you retired? So if I was to ask each of you this question, how much do you think you need to retire? What do you think that amount would be? Put it on, write it on the little index card. I'm writing mine down right now. I'm writing my own and Anne's writing her own. Yeah, each of you write that down. But I'm going to write down what Dave... You're going to have some financial infidelity here for just a minute. (laughs) Yeah. And you're writing it for you as a couple, not individually. All right, I folded mine up. All right. Don't let my wife see it. Okay. (laughs) All right. Okay. Okay, here's my question. Are they the same number? Are they even close to each other? They're not even close. Not even close? <laughs> They're not even close. And, and 
And so just to give you an idea how far <laughs> apart, so Dave, your number is about five times bigger than Ann's number. Wait, what? So, you know why? I know the standard of living she wants oh. to live at. And I know what it costs to keep that. I said more than I thought you yeah. would say. Yeah. So Interesting. it would be, you know, for those of you listening, do this with your spouse. See kind of where you where you end up. I would guess the number is somewhere in between here. Really? Yeah. Of what pro- we think and, we need to live and on. And probably, depending on other factors, because remember, savings isn't right. the only number. Without Social Security or without other sources of income or without like a pension or annuity, the number does need to be a little higher. So I would say between these two numbers, erring on the high side, but somewhere in the middle is Mm. probably where you'd need to be, depending on what your current lifestyle is. Yeah, that's a fun exercise. So try it at home. See what you come up with. Yeah. to thank Dave and Ann Wilson along with Bob Lapine and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as power to change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families, the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Do you want to impact marriages in your community? Consider hosting a day together, a one-day marriage conference that focuses on developing oneness in marriage. We have trained speakers that will come to you to present humorous but biblically sound messages of hope. For more information or to get started today, email radio at powertochange.org.au or check out our website at families.powertochange.org.au under the conferences tab. Have a great weekend and please join us on Monday at the same time for another edition of Family Life Today.